On today's edition of the Press Review, we're going to be talking Cody Gakpo, Nicolas Pepe, Bukayo Saka, Lautaro Martinez and more. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Press Review, the show right here on the Chronicles of Aguna, where we go through the day's big news stories. I say news. We go through what the press are reporting with regards to Arsenal and a variety of other clubs as well. We pluck out the biggest stories and we delve into them. And on today's edition, as mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about a few players that Arsenal said to have their eyes on. Cody Gakpo, Lautaro Martinez, according to Calcio Mercato. And we're going to be talking about some of our existing players and what the future might hold for them. We'll also be talking about Tite's reaction to the rumours that he was being lined up to take over from Mikel Arteta. And we'll also be looking at some uh, interesting comments from Nacho Monreal with regards to former gunner Mesut Ozil. Big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. I hope you're all well. Uh, I hope you've all had a good morning so far uh, and hope you're enjoying the press review shows. Remember, let me know in the comments what you think of them because it is a new feature to the channel. And of course, I want to make sure that it is something that you guys are enjoying and that's something uh, you guys uh, want to see moving forward. A uh, few hellos to those of you joining us in the chat. Lots of you have been in here for a while now. Uh, big hello to Peeny Ween, Dio Gratius, Harvey, uh, who says he's got some uh, pre-game nerves ahead of Sweden's big game against Poland. Of course, a place at the World Cup finals is up for grabs in that one. So wish you all the best, uh, Harvey, uh, in that one. Big hello to Henry. Uh, Carlo wants to talk a little bit about Timo Werner. We'll come on to Timo Werner a little bit later on. Uh, remind me, pop that question in again uh, just a little bit later on in the programme so that I don't miss it. Uh, big hello to Colin, uh, to Joe, to Troy, to Anubav, uh, to GB, to Mint, um, to Carlo, uh, to Matt, to Guna72, lots of you uh, in the live chat. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. Okay, let's get into it then. And let's start off with Arsenal's reported interest in the PSV Eindhoven forward, Cody Gakpo. Now, we've heard about this guy um, and Arsenal for a little while now. If you think back to uh, last summer, I think it was one that, that came up. It was one uh, that was kind of doing the round. It never really materialised into anything. We're talking about a 22-year-old who's shown he can play uh, up front, but also from the left wing, primarily, in fact, from the left wing. It seems to be where Cody Gakpo has made his name. Uh, Dutch, uh, of course, as I said, 22 years old, uh, right-footed, but does play from the left-hand side. According to Sofa Score, he is valued at around about 24 million euros. Now, we're talking about a guy who's managed eight goals in 20 Eredivisie appearances this season uh, and is someone who is really considered as one of the uh, upcoming stars in Dutch football. He's associated with being very good in a high press, with having very good ball control and being a good striker of the ball. And so when you think about those... Um, when you think about those skills, when you think about the fact that he is supposedly very, very good in a press, this feels like it would be a good fit for Arsenal. But I've seen a lot of people discussing um, this story, discussing the potential of this player coming to the football club and having a bit of a back and forth as to whether it would be Cody Gakpo, the striker coming in, 
or Cody Gakpo, the winger coming in. Now, I've looked a little bit at Cody Gakpo and, and not a great deal, I've got to be honest, but we are going to be putting together a show for you in which we're going to really deep dive into the player, a bit like we did with the Darwin Nunez one. Is he the right man for Arsenal? And in that, I'll give you a little bit more insight, a little bit more information, and I'm hoping, fingers crossed if I can, uh, to get an expert to come on to that particular episode with me. But when I look at Cody Gakpo at first glance, when I look at him, you know, in terms of the way he plays and what I know of him, I don't really see him as a centre forward. I think the fact that he is uh, quite tall, uh, the fact that he's 187 centimetres tall, let me just convert that into feet, uh, you know, six foot one, nearly six foot two. When you think about that, I think it's easy to then go, oh, you know what, he's cut out to be a striker. But I don't really think that is the role that he's cut out to play. I'm not saying he can't play it, but he wouldn't be the guy that I go to as our primary striker option. I do think, however, that as a winger, he'd be a really, really good addition. And you've got to remember as well that there's a lot of uncertainty around the future of Nicolas Pepe at the moment, off the back of some comments he's recently made, which I'll touch on in a minute. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't think that we're, although we're quite well stocked in the wing department in comparison to some other areas, I wouldn't say we're at a point where we definitely can't take on anyone else. Um, so Cody Gakpo feels like a player that I'd quite like to see Arsenal move for. We talk a lot about his numbers. We talk a lot about stats and facts and figures. And we'll come on to that again, as I say, when we do that full breakdown on Cody Gakpo in a little bit more detail. But then, of course, although that looks impressive, the thing that always kind of holds me back and that I always talk about is, can you translate that into the Premier League? And to switch from the Dutch Eredivisie to the Premier League, it's a big switch. It's a big difference. And so I'm not saying that we should never sign players from leagues that are weaker than the Premier League. It might sound like I'm saying that. It might sound like I'm coming across like that when I always raise this point. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that when you look at the numbers produced by a player uh, like Cody Gakpo at a club like PSV Eindhoven in the Dutch Eredivisie, you've always got to be realistic about what those stats mean in the big picture. I think you have to think about what those stats mean if that player is to come to Arsenal. So if he scores, for example, like he's got eight goals in the Dutch Eredivisie this season. So he's probably going to hit double figures by the time the season's out. Does that mean he'll hit double figures in the Premier League? It's no guarantee. So that's why you've got to um, you, you've got to always bear that in mind. How do those figures translate to the Premier League? Because there will be a translation. And just like when you're exchanging currency, in a lot of cases, there will be some sort of loss along the way when assessing how those numbers will look in, in, in our league. So I think you shouldn't that shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. And it shouldn't mean that you never sign players from outside of the Premier League. But it is something that you should always factor in your thinking. There's no point in going, well, this guy scored X amount of goals at X club in X league. Therefore, he's guaranteed to come to the Premier League and be this good. It, it, it doesn't work like that. And we've seen that so many times over the years. Uh, GB says uh, Tom Canton on the Guna Talk has expressed the belief that Gakpo is versatile enough to play at striker and not just left wing. I personally don't know the player or the Eredivisie enough. Look, I I'm not saying that he can't play as a striker. As I say, I think that a lot of it is to do with his stature. I think a lot of people naturally come to that conclusion based on his stature. Now, I'm not saying that Tom's come to that conclusion based on that because I know Tom does his research and I know Tom will be really clued up on the player. But I do think that the whole 
I'm a six foot one, six foot two winger, which is a little bit unusual. Um, it is kind of influencing people to say, well, this guy can definitely play as a striker. And I'm not sure that that, that is the case. I think he's got a lot of the, the attributes that you'd look for in a striker. But outside of his stature, outside of his size, you know, I, I, I still think he's better off as a winger. That's my personal opinion uh, anyway. But let's see, um, you know, let's see. And, and I look forward to, as I say, having a, a better look at him, having a bit of a deep dive into Cody Gakpo and bringing you the next piece of content, which will be focused on the Dutchman, because this is not the first time now that we're being linked with the player. And this story, incidentally, uh, comes from Voigtball International, who say that Arsenal are leading the chase to sign the Netherlands winger Cody Gakpo, 22 years old, remember, from PSV Eindhoven. So that's the update on, on him. Um, just going back to that point, circling back to that point about the fact that, yes, you know, you, you shouldn't be limited to only looking at players in certain leagues, but just that you need to be mindful of how those numbers translate. Like, if somebody scores, you know, 10 goals in the Eredivisie, he might only score five in the Premier League, if, if that makes sense. And I know you can never really quantify these things and you can never really, um, you know, it, it's not a science. It's not a definitive kind of formula that you can apply to these things. But I do think that somebody like Cody Gakpo, who does look a real talent and a, a real exciting player in the Eredivisie, um, has a lot of work to do to close the gap between the level that he's currently playing at and the level that we'd want him to play at. It's not to say that they can't do it, but the point I'm trying to make is don't become obsessed by stats. Um, and as, uh, as Sooty so rightfully points out in the chat, you look at Timo Werner and Lukaku. They're the latest examples of top players that have looked brilliant elsewhere. I know Lukaku's done it in the Premier League in the past, but they've looked brilliant prior to coming to their clubs now. And there's a lot of factors. It's not just their level. It's who they're playing with. It's how they're being coached. There's never any guarantee in football that a move is going to work out. There are very few, very few players that you can look back in history and go, wherever that guy went, he was at the same level and he was a success. Because there are so many factors that come into football. And that's why you don't just look around uh, sort of statistical websites and say, well, this guy's got X amount of goals in this league, so we need to sign him. He's the answer. There's so much more to it than that. And, and I think with Cody Gakpo, although I like him and I think he'd be uh, a good signing, I still lean towards him being more of a winger. And while we're on the subject of wingers, let's move on uh, to uh, Nicolas Pepe's uh, comments, because this could have a direct impact on what happens with Cody Gakpo. Nicolas Pepe, of course, signed from the club, uh, uh, sorry, for the club, I beg your pardon, three years ago for £72 million. And according to a report um, today, based on some quotes, and it's been reported by a variety of sources, but it's based on some quotes that Nicolas Pepe gave, um, he is considering his future. He's admitted it, and I quote, it has been a tough season. He says he's been frustrated. Let me take you through exactly what the Ivorian had to say. He said, I'm focused on how well we do until the end of the season and the club's target, which is getting into the Champions League. Then we will see what happens. When a team is winning, it is hard for a coach to make changes. Mikel Arteta has explained that to me and the coach knows what I think and how hard I'm working. It's also about communication. Sometimes it's not easy to communicate with the language barrier 
it's been a tough season for me. Of course, it is frustrating not to play. No player enjoys not playing, but I have to respect the coach's decision and the team is doing well at the moment. So Nicolas Pepe, in the way he's come across there, I think has come across really well and really professional. He knows that it's difficult for Mikel Arteta to shoehorn him into the side at the moment. Arsenal are playing very well and have been for a while now. You know that Bukayo Saka, who currently occupies that right wing position, Nicolas Pepe's preferred position, is having an excellent season and is a real linchpin of this team. It's not easy for Mikel Arteta just to take him out and 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 drop Nicolas Pepe in there to try and keep him happy because of the impact that that could potentially have on the side. But as I say, I think it's a really mature um, sort of uh, set of comments from Nicolas Pepe in that he's not throwing his toys out the pram. He's not saying that he should be starting every week. He's just expressing that to him. It's been a little bit difficult to be a peripheral figure. It's been difficult to watch from the sidelines and it's been difficult to kind of process what has happened for him uh, from a football perspective so far this season. But I'll tell you one thing, Nicolas Pepe may well be considering his future. And if he does move on, then that does open the door for somebody like Cody Gakpo to come in and improve the squad, particularly uh, with the prospect of European football next season. We need to add a little bit more depth, you feel, in a number of areas. So it could open the door and it could be a blessing in disguise. It could give Nicolas Pepe the opportunity um, to go elsewhere and... Um, and, you know, and, and reignite his career because he's, he deserves, uh, you know, some game time. He's a really talented individual. He came on against Wolves uh, not too long ago and had a huge, huge impact, um, you know, in that game. And I think that Nicolas Pepe is going to have a massive part to play if Arsenal are going to qualify for the Champions League between now and the end of the season. We know he's a goal threat. We know that he's somebody who can make something happen at the click of a finger. Does he have faults? Does he have shortcomings? Yeah, he does. But I just think with Nicolas Pepe, we've got a talented individual there. And unfortunately, for a number of reasons, it's just not worked out at Arsenal. £72 million was way too much for, to pay for him. We all know that. We all accept that. Um, but that can't be something that we use to kind of beat the player with week in, week out. You know, that fee was a fee that Arsenal Football Club agreed to pay. It wasn't a fee that Nicolas Pepe demanded for himself. So the club have to take the responsibility for, for sanctioning that deal and the price tag. Um, I think he has had good moments in an Arsenal shirt. And as I say, I still think he will play a part, uh, an important part between now and the end of the season. But I can understand why he feels like he needs to move on. I think there has been more work rate from Nicolas Pepe in what we've seen of him of late, which indicates that he knows that he needs to work hard. And it shows, I think, the interview that he's given, I think, shows that he's got a respect uh, for Mikel Arteta and a respect for the work and the job that is currently being done. So although I quite like Nicolas Pepe and I'd quite like him to stay um, as a kind of squad player and someone who can, we can call upon off the bench because of his unpredictability and all of the other things that I so often talk about. But I understand why he might want to leave. And I, and I think that the way he's gone about this is is very professional Um and and very respectful. So no qualms from me with regards to what Nicolas Pepe 
uh, has said. Let's move on uh, to another story. Let's talk about uh, a report that comes from Italy. Calcio Mercato, uh, of course, I've got to be honest, not the most reliable source, but it is a story doing the rounds at the moment. So we're going to pick it up. And according to this report, Arsenal and Atletico Madrid are vying for the signature of Argentina striker Lautaro Martinez. Now, according to Calcio Mercato, Inter have indicated that they would accept an offer of around about £58 million for the Argentine. Now, this is a player we were heavily linked with last summer. He's a player that a lot of Arsenal fans would like to see come to the club. As a Serie A man, he's a player that I would like to see come to Arsenal. I think he's got a lot to offer. I love his energetic style. I love his technical ability. I think he's got a brilliant football brain. Um, he's a player I'd really like to see us sign. And for £58 million, when you consider that, you know, somebody like Alexander Isak was being mooted at around about 90 million euros, so around about 75 million pounds. How could you say, if you were willing to see Arsenal pay that, that this isn't good value for money? You're talking about a guy one and two in Serie A so far this season. He's played 14 times uh, and he scored seven goals. Um, he's also so a provider. If you have a look at his heat map, if you go over to sofascore.com and have a look at his heat map, he's not somebody who's... Um, who's a stranger to dropping deep into pockets and getting involved in the build-up play, which is obviously something that Mikel demands from his strikers. He's also got that pace, though, and that ability to, to run channels and get in behind as well, which is something that I don't feel we have in Alexander Lacazette. So I think Lautaro Martinez would be a very good option, and he would be the marquee signing, wouldn't it, that Arsenal fans are desperate for. It's just 24 years old, still got a lot to offer. Very good in a press if asked to do it. Doesn't really have to do it an awful lot under Simone Inzaghi, um, but does that very well when asked. And also uh, a very good hold-up player with the ball at his feet. He's not a massive giant. You're not going to ping balls up to him from the centre-back and ask him to do an Olivier Giroud-style job. But he is someone who, if you get the ball into his feet, has the strength, has the uh, awareness and has the ability to hold people off and just buy your team a bit of time and, and get people up alongside him. He was key in Romelu Lukaku's thriving at Inter. I have to say that. I think that's a really important point to make in that uh, he allowed kind of Lukaku by occupying certain spaces to run channels. And we knew that Lukaku was incredibly um, powerful. He's incredibly powerful in the way he runs and particularly in Serie A. That stood him in very, very good stead. But all of that had to be facilitated. And that's why Lautaro and Lukaku were such a good combination. I'd be delighted if we could get this deal done. But um, long way to go. It is Calcio Mercato, as I say. If he is available for 58 million, then I'd, I'd go for it. Um, I think that sometimes, though, particularly with outlets like Calcio Mercato, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, shape or form, but it does feel like they make stories a lot of the time out of convenience as opposed to actual concrete information. And when you think about Arsenal's clear plans and desire to bring in a striker this summer, it's easy. It feels like an easy option, doesn't it, to link Arsenal um, with a striker that Inter have indicated they would sell for, um, you know, the rumoured £58 million. Remember, Lautaro has been linked with Arsenal before as well, so it's not a completely new story. It has some credence to it. and. Um, the point I'm making here is I wouldn't get too carried away with this one, although it's a, a transfer I'd love to see Arsenal make. 
Uh, also, just want to touch on uh, Fabrizio Romano's report that Arsenal are now in the process of preparing their first offer uh, to Bukayo Saka regarding a contract extension. They're expected to make that offer at the end of the season. And Bukayo Saka, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, fast becoming, um, well, he is already one of our most important players and one of our most prized assets. Arsenal looking to, um, uh, to offer him an improved deal that better reflects his uh, value and position within the squad. So uh, it's it's positive to hear that Arsenal are proactive in this, are being proactive in this. In the past, we haven't been proactive with contracts and we've ended up in situations where the players have almost held a gun to our head last year of the contract. Give me what I want or I'm gone. In some cases, they went and in other cases, they got way more than they should have. So to see Arsenal being proactive... Um, I'm really making a statement of intent and really making a statement to Bukayo Saka that you are the guy, you are the man that we want to build this team around. You, along with some of our other young and exciting talents, are the players that we want to push forward with and we want to move forward with. Um, you know, it's, it's a, again, another kind of signalling of Arsenal's intentions and the way that they look to go about uh, taking the club forward. So delighted to hear that as well. OK, let's touch on uh, a story that we discussed the other day. Now, if I remember correctly, the quote I used um, to describe this particular story when it first broke was uh, the wildest claim of the season. That's what I called the reports linking the Brazilian coach. And I know I'm not saying it right, Tite, uh, with the Arsenal job as a replacement for Mikel Arteta after the Qatar World Cup. The... the I think it was uh, Globo. It was one of the reporters from Globo that came out and said this. He said that the conversations were already happening, that it was all ongoing, that Arsenal had already approached him, that Edu Gaspar, who is very close with Tite and who he previously worked with at Corinthians, had already set all this up and that as soon as the World Cup in Qatar was done, he would be coming into London and taking over. Um, he is set to leave his position as the Brazil boss following the Qatar World Cup. That's uh, being widely reported at the moment. But as I said to you guys, I called it the wildest claim of the season. And now the Brazilian manager himself has moved to shut down the rumours linking him with a move to Arsenal. He called it fake news. And I'll just bring you some quotes. He said, I'm sorry, Arsenal. I'm sorry, Arteta. It is not a situation it didn't come from us. No, there is absolutely nothing. At a time of so much fake news, information that is not true makes me sad. And I hope that this is corrected. My family can rest easy because I have dignity and great respect for the Italian team. My feeling is very sad and I get sad because information is passed to the public that is a lie. I tell people who feel identified with me to be calm because Tite has a personal attitude that values his professional activity and knows of the responsibility with the Brazilian team. He even refers to himself in third person. I like that. <laughs> I do like that. But look, I said that, you know, um, that, that this story was wild, and I'm glad that he has come out and put this one to bed. Not that I was ever worried about it, not that I was ever concerned about it, but it's just the kind of thing that if it rumbles on, it, it can potentially be a little bit unsettling. So to have... Um, you know, to have the guy himself and to have it come straight from the horse's mouth, I think is good because it shuts it down. Uh, perhaps, you don't know, perhaps Edu's had a word. 
come out and deny this so that we can move on from it. I don't know. They are friends, remember. But interesting that um, that he's moved to shut this down very quickly because, you know, if he wanted to be selfish, you know, to have his name in the public domain, um, not too far from the point where he's going to be stepping down from the Brazil job, it wouldn't have been a bad thing for Tite from a PR perspective to be linked with a big Premier League club. Um, you know, is a, is a good thing from a PR point of view, surely. But he obviously values his position in the, the Brazilian squad. He's obviously got a concern and a worry about how that stuff is being perceived by the Brazilian supporters as well. And um, and I'm glad to see that he's moved to uh, protect his own interests with Brazil, uh, but also, you know, put basically pour cold water on the fire around Arsenal at the moment because it feels like everybody and anybody is doing their best to unsettle us at the moment because we're in as Mikel Arteta would describe it, a good moment. Um, we'll get some of your questions in a little bit later on in the show. So don't worry, if you have got questions, just hold fire on them so I can quickly run through the bits that we need to. And then, of course, we'll come to those uh, for the remainder of the show. Another uh, person who's been speaking on Arsenal this week is former gunner Nacho Monreal. Now, um, I love Nacho Monreal. I think at times he got a little bit exposed in the Premier League. I thought at times he just lacked that little bit of extra pace that you sometimes need as a fullback. But honestly, the consummate professional, really good player, uh, really enjoyed watching him in an Arsenal shirt overall. And he's been speaking um, about Mesut Ozil. He gave an interview um, just this week and, and he was talking, he was asked about uh, Ozil. It was a, an interview with 442. And when asked what the issue was with the uh, German international, Nacho Monreal had this to say. He said, Ozil's problem is that he's had problems with everyone. It ended badly with Wenger. He didn't play the last few games with him. Then Emery tried to bring him back and make him our leader. To begin with, he gave him a lot of confidence and Messi played a lot. That The coach understood that there were other teammates who were in better condition. Ozil was one of the best players in the team, one of the best paid, but they saw he wasn't at the level required. As a person, he was good with everyone, but he also missed a lot of games through injury. So it's interesting that um, that Nacho Monreal kind of, and he doesn't really dig in on Mesut Ozil as a player or as, he, or, or as a talent or as a person. He makes it very clear that as a person, he felt that Mesut Ozil was very good with everyone. The point he's making, I think, if you read between the lines, well, you don't even really need to read between the lines. The point he's making is that Mesut Ozil was not committed from a fitness perspective, from a physical perspective. He wasn't up to it. It was as if he, he didn't care. He didn't sort of uh, work hard to be at the condition required. And therefore, a number of people within the football club felt that he was no longer the right man and the right option. And it's interesting because he makes the point that it's not just, um, you know, about uh, sort of um, sort of Emery or it's not just about Arteta. It wasn't even any highlights that there was also issues with Wenger as well. So I think he's done a, a I think he's made a point there, Nacho Monreal, of highlighting that. Well, if one, two, three people are feeling and seeing the same thing, then you've got to start to ask the questions of the player and that the attention should be turned to the player for his part in all of this, as opposed to it being used as a stick to constantly beat different managers with. And I've got to be honest, there have been times both under Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta where I've been sitting there going, we've got no creativity and you've got this guy 
who's unbelievable with the ball at his feet, who's an incredible technician being left out of the side and being frozen out. And, and I felt like it was at times to our detriment. But obviously, we don't always know the bigger picture. We don't always know the bigger story and we don't always know what's gone on behind the scenes. But there's no doubt from a footballing perspective, as in terms of a talent, Mesut Ozil was good enough to be in all of those sites. Unfortunately, though, there were other factors at play and hence why he wasn't available. And now you're seeing him at Fenerbahce, the club of his heart, supposedly, the club that he loves, um, in a similar boat where he's been frozen out, where he's been excluded from the squad for disciplinary reasons. So the more you see of this, you know, I always, I've got a friend who, um, you know, throughout us growing up, but always got himself into trouble all the time. You know, everywhere he went, he was in, he'd get himself in trouble. He'd get himself into some sort of situation. And at the beginning, you feel a bit sorry for them. And you think, you know, I, you know, okay, you know, trouble found you on this occasion. I don't blame you for kind of trying to deal with it or react or whatever. But when it happens five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, there comes a point where you've got to look at that person, no matter who they are, no matter how much you value them, no matter what you think of them, and say, there is a reason that this trouble keeps coming and finding you. you there is something that you're not doing right. Um, and, and that, for me, is 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 the same of as of what we can say about Mesut Ozil. I think that... If you're repeatedly in a certain situation, in a certain position, then there comes a point where you have to take some responsibility for that. So that was Nacho Monreal's comments uh, on uh, Mesut Ozil and uh, what his problem was at Arsenal. OK, let's take some of your questions in the live chat. Pop a little cue at the beginning of them so that it's much easier for me to find them. Um, we are going to take a short pause and uh, we'll be back in just a second. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and this is our press review show. Uh, we've run through some of the big Arsenal-related stories. Uh, we're going to take you through uh, some of the other big stories uh, involving some of Europe's uh, big clubs and then we're going to focus solely on your questions. But before we do any of that, I just want to bring you guys' attention uh, to uh, the current uh, competition going on over at Football Prizes, our partners um, who currently have up for grabs a Freddie Lundberg signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt plus 13 instant win prizes, which include a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed and, and framed Arsenal shirt a Robert Pires signed and framed montage, some vouchers for the club shop and some vouchers for the Football Prizes website. This competition runs until Thursday, 7.30pm. Tickets are £3.95 and there are 199 tickets available. But if you want to get involved in this, you need to act quickly because although there are two days, eight hours, 27 minutes remaining at the time of recording, 156 of the 199 tickets available have already been sold. So you need to act on this quickly because it will sell out, I'm certain, uh, very, very quickly. But we thank Football Prizes, as always, for their support of the podcast. Please do uh, check it out. The link is in the description. And if you want a chance of winning a signed and framed shirt by one of the Invincibles, Freddie Lundberg himself, what a man, what a player, then uh, do get involved. OK, uh, let's run you through just quickly. 
some of the other big stories uh, doing the rounds. Um, what have we got? Uh, uh, Barcelona as attempts to sign Liverpool's Egyptian forward Mohamed Salah are set to be thwarted by their inability to comply with La Liga's financial rules. Look, this one comes from the mirror, but if Mo Salah is not having uh, the contract offer that Liverpool is rumoured to have been putting in front of him of late, and he's asking for around about half a million pounds a week, then there's no way that Barcelona in their current state are going to be able to do this. Uh, according to Build in Germany, Liverpool will face competition from Real Madrid for Borussia Dortmund's England midfielder Jude Bellingham. Uh, Leeds United, according to the Mirror, have placed a £67 million price tag on the Brazilian winger Rafinha with Barcelona apparently willing to pay around about that figure. Manchester United, Liverpool and Newcastle are supposedly all interested in signing the Portugal midfielder Otavio from Porto this summer. That's according to A. Bola. Um, Liverpool have uh, reached an agreement in principle to sign former England under-18 international Fabio Carvalho from Fulham after almost sealing a deal for the attacking midfielder during the January window. That's according to Football Insider. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Manchester United are ready, apparently, to open talks with Marcus Rashford over a new contract. And England left-back Luke Shaw. That's according to ESPN. Uh, Barcelona are said to be rivaling Arsenal in their bid to sign Arsenal and Scotland fullback here in Tierney. Get out of town. It's not happening. Um and, uh, in and and the other one, I guess, that is probably worth uh, just bringing to your attention, Borussia Dortmund are interested in signing Chelsea's Germany striker, Timo Werner, and Anthony Martial from Manchester United, who's currently on loan at Sevilla. So uh, lots and lots of rumours doing the rounds, uh, as always, um, and we'll try and keep you across as many of those as we possibly can right here on the Press Review Show on a daily basis. OK, let's... Um, Let's see what else uh, we've got in the chat. Uh, somebody asked me earlier on if I've eaten curry goat. Yes, I have. I wouldn't have said that, that I like it if I hadn't tried it. <laughs> I love it. I think it's beautiful. Um, got a good friend from school that um, has a catering business and makes uh, sort of Jamaican-style food. And whenever there's a party and and he does the catering, everybody's buzzing about it. Uh, so, yeah, big fan, big fan. Um, what else have we got? Okay, Matt Tomo says... Of all the rumoured striker options so far, who's your favourite? Um, I, I didn't think that Lautaro Martinez was attainable. I still don't know that it will be as easy as Calcio Mercato are reporting today to get hold of Lautaro Martinez. But if it is, at £58 million, I think that'd be a sensational option. Um, as I said, 24 years old, has really got a good experience playing in a top, top league. Um, and I think that he would fit uh, into this team. I think he ticks a lot of boxes. Is he as big and as physical as what I was probably initially hoping for or, or what I have in my mind is is what Arsenal should be looking at? Maybe not, but um, I think he's got other attributes that make up for that. And I think although he's not this big target man of a guy, he does have the ability to hold people off and hold challenges off. So yeah, Lautaro Martinez, if he was available for £58 million, would be the answer for me. Outside of that, I'm probably still leaning towards Darwin Nunez at the moment, just based on what we could get him for and, and the things that he would bring to the table. I think there are other options like, you know, 
Alexander Isak, who I like, but I, I just don't want to pay 90 million euros for. Um, and then there are people, of course, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I, I'm not particularly interested in either. So I think Darwin Nunez or Lautaro Martinez, if you're looking around about the £60 million mark for a striker, I think that's about right. And then I think you can, uh, you know, you can then hope that Arsenal will be able to spend money elsewhere and continue to improve the remainder of the squad given that we're going to have European, or we hope we're going to have European football next season. Uh, big thank you to Carlo for your very kind words. He says, hit the like button. If you haven't joined an Arsenal channel, join this one. Brilliant content. Thank you so, so much, mate. Honestly, uh, it is so, so appreciated. Uh, just a quick reminder as well, before uh, we continue through the questions, um, join the other 43 people so far who have hit that like button. Let's try and get it up to 100 between now and the end of the show. And remember, if you're new to the channel, please do subscribe. If you're listening via the audio platforms, then please do leave us a review. It really, really helps. Okay. Um, what else have we got in terms of your questions? Uh, Matt says, any news on Reese Nelson? I feel like I haven't heard his name in months. Um Listen, I, I made my peace with the idea that Reese Nelson was not going to be anything at Arsenal a long, long time ago, I think. You know, he's played 16 times for Feyenoord in the Eredivisie. He's only started on five occasions. He hasn't scored a goal. Uh, he's got one assist. He's he's not exactly pulled up trees uh, at Feyenoord. He is 22 years old. He's still got a long way to go. He can play from the left or from the right. And I think that you know, he he showed signs of being this really tricky and exciting winger. But he doesn't seem to be able to turn that into outputs. And it's interesting because when he went to Feyenoord, one of the coaches at the club, I remember, and I don't remember exactly who it was, but somebody made a comment along the lines of he's way behind, like in terms of what he should be, suggesting that he wasn't being coached maybe properly at Arsenal, or that he wasn't getting the love or attention that he maybe needed or deserved. Um, but clearly... In the time that he's been there, he's not been able to convince the Feyenoord staff that he's managed to bridge that gap between what, the level he was at and the level they think he should be at. Because, as I say, he's only started five times in the league. So it's been difficult for him to make an impact there. But if he can't make an impact there, then he's certainly not going to make an impact at Arsenal. So I'm resigned to the fact now that, that Reese Nelson isn't going to make it. I thought that prior to this loan, and, I, and, and this has only reinforced my initial opinion on that, uh, but it's time for Arsenal to to let the player go so that he can try and make the best out of his career. But also we can get something in. Um, you know, I, I don't even know how long his contract's got left. Let's have a quick look. Um, but, you know, it just it just feels like it's not working for anybody. So why hold on to him and delay his progress? And why are we going to keep him sort of around the place uh, for no reason. His current Arsenal contract expires in 2023. So next season will be his last season under contract at Arsenal. So I think now's probably the time to let him go. Uh, the Smiths 1986 says, how far do you think the side is being? Sorry, let me read that again. How far do you think the side is from being genuine title challenges? <sighs> I, I still think a long way. Um, I still think a long way. I think that to, I think that in recent seasons, Manchester City and Liverpool have set the bar, the bar so high in terms of the consistency required to win a league that it's it's going to be uh, really difficult to kind of bridge that gap unless you're going to go and spend top, top dollar and bring in 
the world's elite players. Look, in Liverpool's case, it took them four or five years. So I guess if I'm going by that, let's say, you know, they're a club of a similar resource to us. They sold very well, which kind of accelerated their development in terms of what they were able to go out and get. But in terms of resource, they're on a similar footing to us. So let's say that it took them four or five years. I think it'll probably take us about the same. Uh, but that is assuming that we keep going in the right trajectory. That's assuming we manage to keep hold of a lot of these players and continuously make good additions to the squad. But I wouldn't even be thinking about it for four or five seasons. Um, you know, I think we need to see a lot more from this Arsenal team to believe that we are on the path to that. I think to, to establish ourselves as a Champions League club again over a course of uh, of a number of seasons again is is the first target. Uh, but of course, that is um, that is yet to be achieved. So I feel like if we're talking about titles, we're in terms of the Premier League title, we're probably looking a little bit too far ahead at the moment. But four or five years would probably be my sort of um, my hope rather than a guess uh, on that one. But we are a long, long way away from that. Let's see what else we've got. Um, Jid F32 says, which non-Saliba loanee would you try to reintegrate into the squad? It's hard on this because I think that they're outside of Saliba. I don't look at any of them and think, yeah, you're going to come back and you're going to be someone that can slot into the first team at any point. There's a lot of players that I feel like Arsenal have struggled to get rid of of late and so have decided to send them out on loan just to get them playing football and in the hope more so than them coming back and having an impact that somebody will look at them and go, well, I'll take a punt on him and take them off of our hands. But I guess, and I know this won't happen because he's made it abundantly clear that he's not happy in England. He never has been and it's not the place for him. But I guess Lucas Torreira is the one that I look at and think, if you were happier, if you were more comfortable in your personal life and in your personal circumstances here in the UK, you had something to offer. And I think even more so now, because we were previously, we were asking Lucas Torreira to play as a lone DM. He couldn't do that. He didn't have the physicality to play that role alone in the Premier League, I didn't think. Then we asked him to be a little bit more advanced. And at times, if you remember, this was one of the craziest things that he did. Unai Emery would ask him to play as like a number 10. And that didn't suit him either. Lucas Torreira, for me, in the Premier League, is a central midfielder, not a defensive midfielder, not an attacking midfielder. And actually, the way we've tweaked the system... Uh, the way we've switched to a, a sort of more aggressive press and with Granite Xhaka against most opponents, pushing that a little bit further up the pitch and squeezing people in and having to be a little bit more tenacious in his game. I actually think that Lucas Torreira might have done a decent job in that role. I still think physically he's left a little, he's, you know, he lacks a little bit for the Premier League. I think Xhaka gives you that presence, at least in midfield, because of his stature and his size. And people say that that's not the be-all and end-all. It isn't the be-all and end-all, but it's a big damn part, particularly in this league. Um, yeah, Lucas Torreira is the one that I look at and feel like we could have had or got so much more out of this player, but circumstances outside of our control um, have made it difficult for him uh, to, you know, to, to to flourish, I guess, at Arsenal. Um GTR says, what's your preferred right-back option for next season? 
Oh, backup option. Uh, Cedric, Norton Coffee, Ainsley McDonald's or a new purchase. It's hard, isn't it? Because we talk a lot about getting backup players in. That whoever you sign has to be accepting and understanding of the fact that that's going to be their role. And not every player in the world uh, likes that. Most of the top players don't want to go to a club in which they know they're not going to play very, very often. Now, I think that Cedric is having a, a decent period at the moment, but I think he'll get found out. And interestingly on that, there were reports yesterday that Takahiro Tomiyasu is expected to be available for the Crystal Palace game, which is obviously encouraging news to have him back uh, in and around the squad. But, you know, Norton Cuffey, don't know an awful lot about him at this stage. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think his Arsenal career is done. I think he'll be gone this summer. New purchase, I think if the right purchase was available, if the right option were to present itself, that's probably the route I'd go down now. Okay, what else have we got? Uh, Guna72 says, um, Salah half a million a week, have a word. Yeah, that's uh, reportedly what he's been demanding. It's mad, isn't it? Uh, Harvey says, Harry, do you think United will have the same problem as we had getting rid of higher paid players? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. When you make lots of mistakes in the transfer market, it takes time to get over them. And we have we know that. We've experienced it. Um and, uh, yeah, I think United are in the same boat in a lot of ways. Uh, what else have we got in uh, Inter Yunnan? Uh, always as positive as ever, says won't be title challengers until Arteta gets sacked. Fair enough. You know, there's nothing to, you know, I can't say that Mikel Arteta is a good enough manager to challenge for a Premier League title. He's still got a long way to go to prove that. So it's a, it's a valid point. But I just love the way you always manage to uh, turn every discussion about... Um, into it being about Mikel Arteta and what you believe to be his shortcomings. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Osse, going back to that right-back thing, has highlighted uh, Livramento, decent player. Uh, I think he's owned by Chelsea, but currently playing his football at Southampton. Um, yeah, I think I think we're going to leave it there, guys. I think we're going to leave it there. We've been uh, rolling for around about 45 minutes, taking plenty of questions, got through plenty of stories today as well. Remember, check out Football Prizes. The link is in the description below. Check out Athletic Greens as well. The link to Athletic Greens is also in the description below. Uh, let's quickly check in uh, where we are in terms of our likes. Uh, look, there's over a couple of hundred of you watching now. We've only got 63 likes on the board, so let's drive that up towards that 100 mark between now and the end of the show. I will be back with some more content later on today in which we'll take some more of your questions. So stay tuned for that. Also, if you're interested in the African um, World Cup qualifiers tonight, I'm on live commentary for Algeria versus Cameroon in the second leg of that one. Uh, and you can find that on Flash Score. It's an 8.30 p.m. Uh, kickoff UK time. So around about 8.25 I'll be live on that. And don't forget, we've got some watch-alongs coming up for you on this very channel. The first one uh, being this Sunday. Big, big game from Italy. Juventus versus Inter. I'll be I'll be watching it anyway, so I'm going to be taking you guys along on the journey with me. Come and join me for that. Um, I promise you'll love Serie A uh, if, you, uh, if you get into it, if you're not already. So come and join me for that. And then, of course, on Monday night, we'll be bringing you a live watch-along of Arsenal's vital trip to Crystal Palace. So come join me for that too. Don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new and we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.